Great job, worship team, man. Good day, huh? Man, all, all, yeah, good job. Go ahead. Please, encourage them. Encourage them. I never heard so many people rapping at the same time. It's pretty good, not even Christmas. You're like, that's a lame joke, Michael. I know, it is. I do that on purpose. I'm a dad. It's what we do. We got all the stream feeds and everything are good. If you're tuning in with us online, man, make sure to leave a comment so we know you're there. Not only is it encouraging, but we also know that uh, you're there. And so that helps a lot, okay? So uh, starting a new series today. It's going to be weird a little bit called uh, Awkward. Anyone good at Awkward in the room? Let's looking around. Anybody good? There's two people over here. A lot of liars in this room. A lot of liars. <laughs> man, I'll tell you what. So uh, the, point, the point of this series is... Um, this whole year, we're trying to focus on becoming ecclesia. Now, I know it's okay if you don't get that word means. It's a Greek word, and it's Greek to me, too, okay? The point is, we are supposed to be the family of God. But we're also supposed to be not just a family, but we also are moving into ecclesia. Ecclesia is stronger than family, tougher than family, accomplishes more family. But to get there, which is my heart and mission, we have to learn to relate to each other in healthy ways. And to do that, we have to change some thinking and some behaviors. You cannot have godlike and godly relationships if you do everything like the world around you. You, you can't do it like everyone else. Being a Christian means you've abandoned the ideas of the world around you and you've entered into a new citizenship and a new kingdom. Does that make sense? Yeah. And what that means is we, as believers, make it weird. That's what we do. We make it weird. It's our mission in life to make it strange. Some of you guys are nailing it. Yes. Amen. That's right. <laughs> We live in a world that loves drama. Can I get an amen? Yes. What is that about, man? People are just looking for something to get mad about, fired up about, upset about. And it's like, man, if you disagree with me, I see this all the time. If you disagree with me over this thing that I believe with all of my heart, then you're the problem. Have you ever seen that before? You're the, you're the problem. You're the problem. If you disagree with my politics, you're the problem. If you disbelieve with my theology, you're the problem. I'm going to tell you what the problem is. The problem is sin, okay? That's the problem, okay? <laughs> and I know it's a word we don't like to use much, but it, it is the problem. You are not the problem. Sin is the problem. Everyone knows. Everyone, people know there's a problem. They don't know what the problem is. They just know they're not the problem. <sighs> the tools of the world, though, are gossip slander, anger, criticism, judgment, lies, and walking away. That's how the world does it. That's the kingdom of darkness that you were born into, the culture that you know. That's how people do things. That's not how Christians do things. We make it weird by doing things that represent where we're from, not where we live. Because the second you place your faith in Christ, and declared him as your Lord, you became from a place that's not here. Does that make sense? Give me a nod. If I lost you, it's okay. It'll probably make sense eventually. So here's what I want to do. I want to teach us through this series how to make it weird by responding to criticism and slander and gossip and anger in different ways. The world, does it through, the world does it through those tools. But Christians, we don't slander and we don't gossip. We honor and we respect. We honor and respect. And that's what we're going to do. We have a whole message dedicated to respecting people. Um, we, we don't hate. We don't try to sabotage. We don't slander. We operate in kindness and gentleness. And we don't need you to be kind and gentle in order for us to be kind and gentle. That's a Christian thing. It's, it's, it represents the culture that we came from because of Jesus, not the culture in which we live. Um, understanding. We seek to understand. 
There's a lie. There's a, there's a, Gnostic, a new Gnosticism in our culture. Gnosticism just means special knowledge. And that, what that means is, you haven't lived my life, you don't know what it's like to be me, and you will never understand, so therefore I don't have to find words to tell you what I'm feeling. Do you see how that that kind of thinking sabotages relationships and connection if I feel like that since you can never understand me, I don't have the responsibility to articulate what's going on inside of me. Where as a Christian culture, we want to understand. We want to take on the responsibility of articulation, finding words to express our stories, our pain, our losses. Just imagine what could happen in a church, in a city, in a country if we tried to understand each other versus just immediately dismissing each other. Does that make sense? represents the culture we come from. And the last thing is patience. Modern Christians walk away far too easily. The truth is we're seldom in relationships long enough to bring Jesus into that relationship. So how can we be patient? Okay, sound like fun? Sound a little painful? Maybe a little painful? Yeah, that's okay. We're going to have some fun with it. So, so today we're going to come at our thoughts. So, I don't know if you know this or not. This may be a little weird, but in between your ears, there's a lot of thoughts buzzing around. Right now, I mean, some of you are right now thinking about what I'm talking about. Some of you have this thought wave like this. (laughs) Static, you know. Some of you are like little ADD bumblebees, you know, this idea, this idea. In between those ears are these thoughts. And why, why do I want to talk about thoughts? Because your thoughts feed everything. Your thoughts become words. Your thoughts become relationships to things, to people, to your job. Your thoughts drive your life. And so all that stuff, either buzzing around or just dead static, whatever it is, it's still guiding your life. And what is sadly the issue is often we are not making conscious choices. We are just responding to the static between our ears. And so today, I want to deal with how we can deal with those thoughts, how we can change those thoughts. I'm going to have the Holy Spirit come into those echo chambers. At the end of this service, we have two things that are going to happen. One is we're going to share communion together, because communion is a relational activity for a family of faith. And and I'm going to show you, as we go into communion today, how, how relational it is and how important it is. Then after that, we're going to have some worship And I'm going to have some people help me, and we're going to pray some God truth into some echo chambers, if you're willing to let us do that. Okay? So that's the the plan today. So how do we get moving with our thoughts? So let's begin by choosing to think. Choosing to think. I I know you're thinking, oh, I think all the time. Yeah, you do think all the time. We all think all the time. But what do we think about and who tells us what to think about? So, I know all of us probably have this box in our pocket. Wouldn't that have been, I mean, if, if my grandparents could see me today, just my, grand, my great-grandparents, and they could see me walking around with a phone that I never talk on. It's a phone. And I don't talk on the phone. I talk to the phone. Siri, send someone a text message. Siri, learn Southern. Oh, my gosh. There needs to be a special, like, dialect thing or something, because I say, tell Steve I'll meet him for lunch, and she sends offensive messages to Steve. The enemy... The enemy's a good psychologist, and he knows, and one of the things that our phones do for us is it's trained us to not think. Social media is designed, designed from the beginning, from its inception, it was designed to be addictive. When you pull that scroll down in your newsfeed, depending on whichever media is your preference of choice, or maybe you have several of them, maybe you have extra phones so you can keep up, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever. (sighs) It's, 
you know, you ever been in a casino? When I was a, a young man, I got, I got suckered into going in a riverboat one night in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, I think it was. And uh, that my friends made me go. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be there. I had names for places like that that I won't say now. But, uh, but I remember walking through it, and it was back then, they had to pull out, drive up and down the river. And so you were stuck on that thing for a couple hours. And uh, maybe three, I can't remember. But, but I'm walking around this riverboat, and I'm watching people on these slot machines, which my dad always called the one-armed bandits. And uh, there were people who did the, they were getting their workout. They were actually pulling the lever. And then there were people who had advanced. There's like a button one. You just sit there and slap the button. And uh, I watched this lady throwing $5 coins in for like two hours. She'd throw them in, a couple drop out. She, didn't, she wasn't even paying attention, man. She, was, she looked like a factory worker, but she was just feeding money to the riverboat. And so your, phone, your social media apps are, are designed in the same way. That's the psychology that drives them. They're meant to be addictive. And here's the most terrifying part. You are not the customer. You are not Facebook's customer. You're not Instagram's customer, also owned by Facebook, or WhatsApp, or however you say WhatsApp. You're not, the customer is big business. The customer is people who want to know your viewing habits, your surfing habits, the things you're shopping for. And so that to me is terrifying. But what I, I'm sharing that with you to, to share with you this reality. We live in a world that does not think. And we're being conditioned to continue not thinking. We're being made addicts to motions, actions, activities, behaviors that, I don't mean to insult you, but they make us stupid. <laughs> Here's another thing. He's preaching against social media today. I use social media. I hate it, but I use it because I got to have my cat videos. <laughs> got to have them. <sighs> so, uh, <laughs> when you step into a social media app with that scroll, the click, the video, whatever it is, you are stepping into a room of a billion people at that moment. This, I need, I'm not trying to scare you, but I want you, I want you to be smart. I'm not saying don't use social media. I want you to be smart. And so I want you to see that when you step into that room of a billion people, we live in a world today that's always talking about safe spaces. There is no safe place there. There's no respect there. People can say anything they want without any real consequence in that place. So what I would recommend to do, I don't mind using social media. I'm not telling you not to, but be smart. Unfollow the idiots. You know who you are. <laughs> Unfollow those people and begin to put yourself in a situation that you can take responsibility for. Okay? Why am I telling you this? Because the way that our media systems are set up today, we are all rats on a wheel. We are living our lives entirely at the, the mercy of the next offensive thing the next offensive article, we are responding, we are reacting, we are not in control of our thoughts. You say, Michael, it's fine, it's okay. No, it's not fine because your thoughts become your words and your words become your actions and your actions become your life. If you never take responsibility for what you think about, you're at the mercy of every moron in the world. Does that make sense? Okay, I think they were behind me there, Lord. I don't know, I'm about to walk on some places here. So what does God have to say about this, Michael? So glad you ask. Don't act thoughtlessly. That is in the Bible. Did you know that? Do not act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I want you to see a couple of things in this short verse. One, God wants you to think. Two, God wants you to think about God. God would like to be understood to some degree. I'm not saying that God's completely understandable. In the words of Brad Stein, I don't want a God that I can understand. 
But at the same time, God wants to be understood. He wants what he wants done to be understood. We want, he wants us to live in a response to what he's thinking, what he desires, and what he wants in the world. Does that make sense? So don't act thoughtlessly. Try to understand. Not only that, you should also try to understand others. I think Jesus taught us this well. There are several occasions when someone came to Jesus, or he, he, he stood in front of someone, and, and Jesus, I mean, if I had been Jesus, you would all be in trouble. You would just all be in trouble. But if I had been Jesus, and I had the power to heal like that, I would... I wouldn't ask you what was wrong with you. I'd just fix everything. Boom! You're done. <laughs> you're 20 again. <clears throat> but with a better brain. <clears throat> no offense to 20-year-olds. We've all been there. A lot of times Jesus would ask someone, what do you want? When Andrew and James came to Je- when John and Andrew came to Jesus after John the Baptist had baptized him, they, they came up to him and said, what do you want? When blind Bartimaeus comes to him and, and uh, hollers for him and finally is in front of him, Jesus says, what do you want? Jesus thought it was important to understand people, to understand what they wanted, at least what they thought they wanted, Right? So I'm telling you that when it comes to thinking, it's important that we choose to think. It's important that we choose to think about God, we choose to understand God, and we choose to understand others. It's also important, uh, Steve alluded to this verse earlier, in Philippians 4, 8, the Bible says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Did you know that was in the Bible? There's a verse about fixing the way you think. And it tells us, Fix your thoughts on what's true, what's honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So here's an assumption I'm working under. I'm always working under this assumption. I'm standing in front of a group of very powerful people right now. And by that I mean you have the power in your hands, and in your consciousness to choose what you think about. That's where we begin. Because if you continue on this path of powerlessness, you put someone in charge of your life who is not you. And that's someone that's, it it could be someone who oppresses you, it could be someone who's aggressive in your life, But regardless of the face on the voice that's trying to control you, behind all of that is a real enemy. Darkness. Satan, the accuser, and whatever represents him in this community in a literal way. And you have to choose what you think about. If you don't make those choices, they'll be made for you. So choose today to work on your thoughts, to fix the things and choose the things that you think about and learn to focus. Grasshopper, sorry, it's a, it's a show from when I was a kid. And I'm just glad I didn't make it worse than that. Choose to think and choose to think about Jesus. So here's this passage in Ephesians 4. Since you have heard about Jesus... Anybody in the room heard about Jesus? Okay, good. I'm glad we got that one covered. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature created to be like God, but truly righteous and holy so this all begins with jesus jesus is the life changer you want to change your life learn about jesus you want to change your thoughts learn about jesus we'll get into this more in just a second the the point i want you to see is that what paul's writing to us in that passage in ephesians is that we want we've know all this we've received this we've learned from jesus so he wants us to throw off some things one of my favorite things about jesus If you can follow me here. One of my favorite things about Jesus was his freedom. Jesus was the freest dude that ever walked the planet. 
Do you guys know what dude means? I'm just bringing back some high school language here. He was the freest guy to ever walk the planet. What do I mean by that? Because Jesus lived in, an, in a, a culture, in a, a nation that was being oppressed by Rome. He was under Roman rule in, in the whole area of Israel. He was under Roman rule. Politically, geopolitically, and politically, Jesus had very little freedom. And when it came to the end of his life, between the Sanhedrin and the Roman government, Jesus was forced into situations that no person would consciously choose that I know of other than Jesus. So when I tell you Jesus is the most free person I've, I've ever encountered, I'm telling you that Jesus was so free he did not need political freedom. He did not need religious freedom. He did not need people to understand what he was doing or why he was doing it. Jesus was just free. And he didn't brag about it. I mean, if I was that free, I'd walk around going, I gotta be me. But, uh, sorry, I, I have these flashbacks on my little ADD, or a lot. Paul knew that in order for us to change our thoughts and change our lives and redirect things, we had to get rid of some things. Throw off some things. I referenced earlier blind Bartimaeus. The very first thing that he did when he ran to Jesus was he threw off his cloak, which seems to mean very little, but actually that cloak represented his livelihood and his identity as a beggar. It was a permission that he had to beg. And so when he threw off that coat, he was basically tearing up his welfare check and his ability to sustain his life. And he came to Jesus. He threw off something to get more. So choose to think about Jesus. Scripture tells us to throw off. And then it tells us to, re to let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let the Spirit renew. Spirit. Everybody say Spirit. Spirit. Has it ever occurred to you that there are some amazing, wonderful things in God's world and in God's kingdom that have never occurred to you? That there are things going on in God's economy and in God's culture that you are completely unaware of and have no capacity to even comprehend. And so here's Paul writing, he says, you've got to let the Holy Spirit change you. You've got to let the Holy Spirit change the way you think, change your thoughts and put new things in your head. You see, a lot of Christians read about Jesus. But... What we're talking about is the new thoughts and attitudes that come through Jesus. Jesus represented an entirely new way of life. In fact, he said in Matthew, he said, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You see, that's the problem with Jesus. That's why when you read about him, he confuses you sometimes. I'm not saying there aren't things that you see that are wonderful. I'm just saying you're like, why did he do that? Why, why did he heal these people, not those people? Why did he walk in this place? Why did he go to? The, why did he say I had to do this? Why? Why did he say I only do what the Father does and I don't do my own thing? What, what is all of that about? And it's because of that last line. Because the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus wasn't from here. He was born here, but he wasn't from here. And that's also true of you. Now, as a believer, you were born here, but now you're not from here. And so Jesus represented an entirely new approach to life. So everything he said, everything he did was entirely new. The kingdom of God. That's why he told us to pray that your, the Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God now is the source of our culture, our thoughts, and how we behave, and, and our laws and everything. This is the beginning of freedom. So, he, so Paul tells us you've got to throw off the things that are holding you, the traps in your mind, and you have to let the Holy Spirit wake up something new. Put on your new nature. It's time to dress, behave, and carry ourselves like citizens of another place. It's time to live by the laws of the land we're from and not fear the laws of the land we're in. Does that make sense? This is why there's been a war to destroy the Bible since its inception. Because no one wants you this free. No one wants you so free 
that no political ruler can control you. The sad reality is that citizens of the kingdom of heaven make the greatest citizens on earth. They work for the accomplishment and the success of their cultures that they're in. But the, but the truth is, is that we're free and we live by laws of a higher place. We don't need these laws. These laws are beneath us. I'm telling you, if you can't live by the laws of the land today, thank you. That was exactly what should have been. <laughs> oh, sorry, I, got, I want to preach a new sermon now, but I'm not going to do that. Jesus didn't need the laws of the land. He didn't need approval. He didn't need popularity. Dude didn't even need finances. Didn't even need finances. He was so free. You ready? And that's your inheritance. That's your inheritance. Freedom. Freedom. And I know, I know we're not living in it. I know we're not living in it. But we're not living in it because the just shall live by faith. And we don't believe what we've been told about Jesus because of what we can see all around us. We look at our bank accounts and we go, I don't have enough. But Jesus says, you have plenty. The writer of Hebrews says, you have plenty. We look at our relationships and we say, they're they're never going to be what I want them to be. And Jesus says, man, those relationships are critical. And they're going to be more than you ever dreamed because right now your dreams are not up to par. We have to learn to believe what Jesus said over what we can see with our eyes. So choose to think. Be powerful. Choose to choose your thoughts. Choose to think about Jesus. Let him roll your life. Let him just toss you around and change the things you think about in the midst of the circumstances that you're struggling with. Jesus is the answer. For what you're in the middle of right now, he is the answer. Does that mean that everything's going to work out as you expect? Likely not. God has a way of exceeding our expectations without ever meeting them. It's a little frustrating. I can't tell you how many times I've handed God my plan. Here's what I need you to do. There's a proverb about that. You know, make your plans, submit them to the Lord. So I did, send him a fax. Everybody under 30 goes, what's a fax? I barely know, but my bank does. And so that's another story for another time. So choose to think, choose to think about Jesus and choose to think about others. James said in James 3, he says, The wisdom from above, the wisdom from the Father, the wisdom from the Holy Spirit, wisdom. First of all, it's pure. What's pure it means it's one thing. It's all good. It's all pure. It's not mixed with evil, stupid, or anything else. It's pure. It's peace-loving. It's peace-loving. It's gentle. At all times. It, it, it's willing, willing to yield to others. That's in the Bible. I didn't write that. Okay, I didn't make it up. This isn't the Maynard translation. God help you if there was such a thing. You wouldn't be able to read it. Hey, y'all, act right now. You hear? <laughs> By the way, Anna, when you said y'all a while ago, it made my heart. When she said, sing, y'all, and I said, hallelujah. <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. <clears throat> it's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. I'm going to throw something in your court right now that may be hard to deal with. So here it comes. I mean this in love and in gentleness. Maybe being right... Maybe being right isn't always God's best for you. Maybe you don't always have to be right. In fact, here's another one. Here's the corollary. Maybe being wrong isn't a threat to you at all. 
Maybe being right isn't that critical. Maybe being wrong isn't that threatening. You see, when we talk about trying to understand other people and trying to think about other people, we need to let go of our need to be right. This is what's wrong with social media and my humble and yet most accurate opinion. (laughs) We are right and you are wrong and therefore you're the problem. What if it's not about being right? What if it's about being together? What if it's about working with other people? Michael, there are absolutes in God's word. I know this. You are telling me nothing I don't know. I'm not asking you to sacrifice your convictions. I'm asking you to make room for people. What do I mean by that? Okay, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, walked the planet Earth. Would you agree that he had no equal? Okay, you can nod, amen, no equal. Would you agree that there was no one else on the planet like him? Would you agree with that? That's right. Would you agree, would you just take this one little step, would you agree that he was probably right? Okay, all right, we went that far, right? So who's he going to hang out with? Who's he going to spend time with? Who's his tribe? Who's his ecclesia? What's he going to do? I mean, because what he rightfully has the permission and is justified to do is say, I'm right, you guys are wrong, I'll do me, y'all leave me alone. Is that what he did? He made room. He made room for the crustiest, honoriest dudes you ever saw. Fishermen. Tax collectors, why did you let an IRS agent, never mind. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Jesus loves tax collectors. And he loves prostitutes and he loves broken people. And he made room. How did he do that? Shouldn't he have stood for what was right? I would argue he did stand for what was right. And he did that in the company of a lot of people that he He made sacrifices within to be with them. See, we need to think about Jesus, but not so much that we discard everyone else. If you're properly thinking about Jesus, then you should be embracing others, not alienating yourself from others. And that was for me, not you. You see, I believe that we're supposed to be in relationships because our, part of our calling mission is to bring Jesus to those relationships. And I know some of you are in relationships now that you may have regrets about. Maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a friendship, and it's, there's, Christ isn't the center of the other person's life like it is yours, and you have regrets. And I'm here to say you, calm down. It's okay. It's all right. You're there for a reason, man. What is that reason? You bring Jesus. Here's the thing. Here's the hard part. You ready for the hard part? You have to stay long enough for Jesus to show up. And he loves making people wait. I think Steve hit on that just a few weeks ago. Because he knows what we need in our life is not to be right, but to be in relationship, to be connected to others, to love people, to give them what we may not think they even deserve. And then after we give it to them, we realize they were far more than worthy. And so choose to think. Choose to think about Jesus. Choose to think about others. And, and, and not just think about them, but how can I help them? How can I understand them? And most importantly, most importantly, how can I pray? Say pray. pray. A faith that doesn't have prayer is not a faith. I don't know what that is, actually. Our discomfort with prayer is so telling about where we are with, our, with God and our relationship with Him. You know, it may sound weird, 
But Christians pray. It's our culture. It's, it's the, the language. It's the atmosphere. It's the cell phone of where we come from. Our home. It's critical to our existence, our connection with the Father. If prayer is weird for you, I get it, but let's make it not weird. And let's talk about Holy Spirit for a second. Holy Spirit is weird. I'm not kidding. Holy Spirit is weird. He does things you're not ready for. He stretches you. He pushes you into risk. And that's normal. There was something nuts about those early Christians that people noticed. Something so evident in their lives that when, when, when Paul tries to deal with some, some bad theology in Galatians chapter 3, he talks about, he uses evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Those Christians understood that they had the Holy Spirit. And I, I wonder, I've talked to so many people in these last 20 years that we've sat across the table and I've asked them about whole, the Holy Spirit in their life and they've said things like, I don't know. I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit. I'm like, okay, let's fix that. Because Holy Spirit is critical to a New Testament faith. Why am I telling you this? Because we're here to represent a land that we are from, we haven't been to yet. We're here to bring a culture into our world that isn't here right now. And we represent, we represent God, Jesus the Son, and His Spirit, Holy Spirit. And so, I want us to... I want us to embrace these ideas. I want us to think about these things. I want that echo chamber between your ears healed. Say, Michael, well, shouldn't I just, you know, positive attitude it or speak good words? No, it needs healed. That thing's full of junk. If we're going to fix our thoughts, then we have to fix what we think about. And some of you are thinking things this morning that are tearing your life apart. You're thinking, I, I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. I'm never going to succeed. God doesn't like me that much. He didn't answer my prayer. He didn't heal my mom, dad, grandparents, child. These are circumstances that occur in a world that's under the curse of sin. God is sovereign, but God doesn't do evil. Does that make sense? Things happen that He didn't do. And what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. And so this echo chamber in your life today, and you are afraid, I got it, thank you. This morning, uh, I get up early every day because I can't sleep, but I try to get up a little extra early on Sunday mornings and just pray more, think about the message. Ask God to show me if there's anybody he wants me to do any special harassments to. He sends me to Cecil every week, every week. And I don't know, I have a, a strange combination of gifts. And this morning, I was just feeling fear. Lots of fear. So much so that I could not concentrate. I, made it, I started journaling because when I can't concentrate, the only thing I can crown my thoughts with is to start typing or writing. And since I write in Swahili and can't read it later, I type. And I started typing, I'm like, God, I cannot focus my thoughts, and I was feeling fear, and I got here early and prayed over the room, and I was feeling fear, and I, I, I should have started talking about fear f- far earlier than this. So what I'm hearing right now, what I'm feeling right now is in this room, there's just loads of fear, and I'm not sure what the fear is about, and I'm not, I'm not even talking about the state of the world. Sure, there's plenty to be afraid of in our culture, in the world, in the news. That's not what I'm talking about. Some of you are just living and breathing fear right now. And here, I'm going to tell you why. This is what you need to know. 
Your echo chamber is telling you that it's because of your mistakes, your failures, your sins, bad relationships, bad choices, addictions, whatever. That's what your echo chamber is telling you. But what is really happening, church, Ecclesia, what's really happening is your enemy is terrified of you. And that's what was happening for me this morning. I didn't know it. Brother John came over and grabbed me and started praying over me. And that's when I began to realize that the reason I was experiencing fear this morning was because Satan was terrified of what would happen if God began to speak into your echo chambers and began to tell you who you really are and what you could really do. This city could be transformed by a bunch of men, women, and children Hey, boys and girls, there ain't no junior Holy Spirit. There's just one, man. There's not like a little Holy Spirit running around. We give him baby powers. Sorry. Sorry. I know some of you, if this is your first Sunday, you're going, there is something wrong with that dude. Yes, you are right. You are right. Men, women, and children who walk out into a community in faith and realize this is not okay. This hate, this addictions, the state of relationships, the state of our youth, hungry kids, kids who don't feel safe at home or at school, this is not okay. But where I come from, that stuff doesn't happen. Because God's in control, He's the authority, and He is love. And He loves Rock Springs, and He loves every child, man, woman, boy, girl in this city. He loves them all so much that He put His own Son on a cross to die for them. And so I am no longer standing for this junk, and we're going to bring to this place the presence and the love and the power of God. We're going to enforce love in Rock Springs. So there's something to think about. There's something to change your thought process about and stop walking through life terrified of losing. Yeah. Super Bowl tonight, right? <laughs> we almost did a jersey Sunday, but I didn't want there to be fights like last year. <laughs> Just kidding. I'll tell you the team that'll win. And I don't even know who's playing. I don't keep track of it. I'm sorry. I love to watch football. I just don't love to keep track of football. I'll tell you, I'll tell you who wins. The team that wins is the team that plays to win. The team that loses is the team that plays not to lose. The team that plays not to lose will always lose. And that's what the church has been doing my entire life. We've been afraid of the enemy. We've been afraid of the things happening in our culture. We haven't had answers for real issues that we should have had loving answers for, not just judgmental, cutting people off answers for. And it's time for churches, and I believe this is happening. I'm reading of this. I've got friends whose churches are doing this who are waking up to the reality that the church is not just the family of God. It's a war council to fight for the city that it inhabits. So that was kind of a rah-rah speech. You guys are going to have fun at the Super Bowl, aren't you? (laughs) The only way it happens, the only way it starts to happen is if we learn how to love and care for each other. We learn how to think for each other. Think about each other. We learn to change our thoughts and stop thinking of ourselves as less than and start thinking of ourselves as more than. And then together we begin to change things. That's how... This works, and that's what this series is about, learning to love each other and show respect and honor to each other in our church, in our homes, in our marriage, with our kids, learning how to do that, and we start by changing what we think about. So with that being said, I want to move into a communion season. Stay seated right now. Um, Oh my goodness. I want to read you something. So you can see how what we've talked about and how relationships are so critical to communion. And I hope everyone, there should be a cup on your chair. If you can't see it, you might have sat on it. I'm real sorry about that. 
Something we always think of, but we don't have a better solution. Oh, a little caveat. When we're done today, you can just throw your cup away. There's, there'll be a trash can at the back. Uh, we we want to focus on worship, so don't worry about going around collecting cups. Just, you know, keep it on you and feel weird and throw it away in the back. Or throw it at someone you love, because uh, you can't not like somebody. Anyway, so, moving on. Here's how the communion setup that Paul gave us begins. So it's on the screen. I'll read it aloud. It says, Paul's writing, church at Corinth. Corinth had some issues. It says, first, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And that word that's translated church was ecclesia, as you, the assembly. When you meet as ecclesia, and to some extent, I believe it, but, but of course there must be, this is Paul being sarcastic. So New Living kind of captures it. He says, but of course there must be divisions among you so that you may have God's approval and will be recognized. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. This is the condemnation or the correction that Paul packages his teaching on communion. The, the, The ecclesia at Corinth, they couldn't even love each other well. So how can you transform the city you're in if you can't even love each other? You see what I'm saying? So this is the beginning of communion. Then he goes on to say, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, no, we'll do this together in a minute. I just want to read this right now. It says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> and in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Again, so you see, Paul sets up communion with relationships, the issue of relationships in the body. He, he teaches us how to do communion, what the pieces of it mean, and what Jesus meant to do with them. And then he wraps it up, and I'm just reading a portion of how he concludes it, but he says this, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So what I want you to see here, (laughs) we've taken communion and we've told you to take a time to examine yourself and what we normally do is we look and see if there's something sinful in our lives. Jesus died for that sin. It's under the blood. If there's anything there that you're sensing the Holy Spirit awake in your life, you confess it, it's under the blood, you're done. That's not the point of Paul's teaching. Paul's teaching saying, It's about your relationships. You honor communion by honoring each other. By loving each other. By your relationships with each other. Pastor Steve, could I get you to come and take the piano, please, and just put a a background track behind this? So let's stand together right now. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to bless this, and then we'll take it. But while Steve plays, take a moment of reflection. If there's a relationship in your life that needs to be under the blood of Jesus, take a moment in prayer. Think about that relationship. Just think about it. And I want you to hand it to Jesus. I want you to remember Jesus died for that relationship. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a spouse. Shoot, it's Sunday morning. My wife and I used to have a ritual argument every Sunday morning just trying to get here. I just want you to put that relationship under the blood of Jesus, under the forgiveness of Jesus. Once you've got that done, I want you to put your fear under there as well. Father God, I come to you and we take the elements of communion. We take the bread and the wine.
the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. We bless it in Jesus' name, and we ask that you make this room a place of unity, that in every life there is the ability to make room for people. That we could sacrifice our desperate need to be right. And we could embrace each other. And we could walk toward Jesus who actually is right. We could find our unity in Him. And we could find understanding in our stories. I pray that you deliver us this day from anything that might make this body and this room at this moment in time unworthy of what Jesus has done. Because Lord Jesus made us worthy. It seems like such a play on words what Paul writes. Jesus made us worthy, so let us be under Jesus. And let us together as a body be connected in this moment of communion. If you haven't already taken the elements, go ahead. Can I get the rest of the worship team to come up? While we're singing, here in just a minute, there's two things, and I really need you to hear me before you, you get lost in the worship there. Two things. One, I've got some people that are going to come help me pray, and what we want to do is we want to pray into echo chambers. You know, you know the Holy Spirit's already working on you guys who you're struggling with the things you believe about yourself, and so we, we want to speak God's truth into that. There's also something a little special this morning. Well, I don't know if special is the right word. It's just Holy Spirit's up to something. We got a word uh, through one of our members that someone's here today with a heart condition. And it looks fatal. It looks very, very serious. And so if we want to pray for you, we actually have a little bit more word for you. And so while we're worshiping, and if I could get the prayer team to come join me immediately, we want to pray over you. We want to pray into that echo chamber. We want to do some prayer ministry. And if you, if that's you, you're having a, you have a heart issue that's got that's serious, and that's one of your fears today. We want we we've got something we want to ask God to do for you. As we sing, please take this opportunity and receive some prayer. <laughs>